Because I believe that when we think about taking our faith forward, sometimes it's easier for us to think about taking our faith to those people out there than it is taking our faith to those people in here. (laughs) It's often the most difficult to have an offensive faith life where we're moving forward and taking people with us, with those that we know, those in our family, those who are closest to us. So much easier it is to go out into the world to meet people we don't know and tell them about Jesus than it is to minister to the people that God has placed in our lives. This morning I want to talk for just a couple of minutes about how we can live an offensive faith life in our homes. Uh, My goal for this message is that you'll be encouraged. Uh, I know sometimes raising kids and, and having those family relationships can be overwhelming. I hope that you'll be encouraged. I hope that you'll be strengthened. And I hope that you'll get some direction from the Word of God. Let's pray, and we'll begin this morning. Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to be in this place. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for your goodness to us. And uh, I have already been encouraged. I trust others have as well from the music this morning, from the opportunity to sing to you and to be reminded of just how good you are. Lord, life can be extremely difficult. It can be very overwhelming. I know that in our closest relationships, life can be extremely overwhelming. And I pray, Father, that you would teach us from your word today that we would hear from you, that we would learn exactly what it is that you want us to do and how we can go forward and how we can live uh, an effective, offensive faith life in the context of our family. Thank you for what you've done, for what you'll do. Thank you for being with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember the uh, very first time that I saw my wife. Now, at the time, she wasn't my wife, um, but the very first time I saw her, I hoped that she would be someday. Uh, I don't understand fully the whole thing about love at first sight, um, but if there is such a thing, I had it. I saw her, and I wanted to be with her for the rest of my life. I just knew it. Um, Now, she doesn't believe in love at first sight, clearly. Uh, she let me sit next to her because there was nowhere else to sit in the crowded uh, lunchroom uh, where we were, and I asked her if I could sit there, and she looked at me and said, is the seat empty? (laughs) I said, yes. She said, then I guess I can't stop you. So that was kind of the beginning of our relationship. (laughs) Uh, It was one of those really loving, like really connecting right away, uh, sparks, you know. Um, So I met her, and then uh, I kind of stalked her for a while. It took me uh, quite a while to get her to uh, tolerate me, which I understand. If you know me, and, and many of you do, some of you don't. If you know me, you know that her having a hard time tolerating me is not inconceivable. This is something that makes sense. Uh, I finally got to the place where she would tolerate me, and then she would even let me spend some time with her, and then she would talk to me, and then she wouldn't ignore me in public. Uh, this was the, kind of the process that we went through. Uh, eventually, she pretended like she liked me, and I convinced her to marry me. <laughs> I, I never counsel people to get married while they're in college. I met my wife when I was in college. And people say, well, you did it. Of course I did it. Um, It's like going onto a used car lot. If you're the salesman on a used car lot, you know the rule, right? You make the sale before they leave because they're not coming back. (laughs) If I didn't close the deal before we left college, she wasn't coming back, and I knew that. So I had to marry her right then. It was a terrible idea. We actually ended up living in a trailer, uh, not a mobile home, a trailer. It was... It was very small. (laughs) Um, One night, we even had a rat come through the floor because there was a big hole in the floor, and I had to bludgeon it to death with my wife screaming at me in the middle of the night. So that was was the beginning of our very romantic, very emotional relationship. 
<laughs> that's how we got married, and uh, it was awesome. But uh, we've had a great marriage, 21 years. Um, one of the things we never talked about in, in the course of dating and, and all those things was having children. Um, I, I knew that my wife wanted to have kids, I guess. We just never really talked about it. Uh, I'm fine with children. I just have never, I've never, I was never one of those guys that like someday I'm going to have 12 kids. I was never that guy. Um, but we got married and it wasn't that long after that Maggie came along and we had our first child and uh, it was crazy there for a while. They just kept coming. <laughs> Took me a while to figure it out. Uh, but seriously, there was, there was a moment in time, there was a moment in time where I was like, if I looked at Susanna, she was going to get pregnant. It felt very much like that's what was going to happen, right? Uh, we couldn't be in the same room. Another child was coming. Um, <laughs> we only have four, but when you tell people that you have four, you might as well have 15. They, they don't get it. Uh, so we have four kids. Um, but I was very young, and she was very young when we had uh, our first child and continued to have kids. And, and I thought that I knew what it was to be overwhelmed and scared for the future before I had children. But I didn't really understand what it was until I had children. Yeah. <laughs> got some parents in the room today. You raise them when they're, when they're this big, and I, I remember trying to learn to, to hold Maggie without dropping her, and you know, we all make mistakes, but you learn over time, <laughs> and I learned, learned how to hang on to her and not let her fall, and the head doesn't hold itself up. You learn these things the hard way sometimes, um, but I learned that, and you take care of them, and then you get them going, and then they walk, and you're excited about it, then they learn to talk, and you're excited about it, and then you're not excited about it anymore, and then you want them to stop talking, and you go through this process, you try to take care of them, you learn to love people, human people, more than you thought possible, you want to provide for them, and then you feel bad at the thought that you can't provide for them, I, I don't know if anyone else experiences this, uh, but this is the truth. Uh, I will have the ability to provide for my kids, and I'm excited about something that I can give to them. And then sometimes I'll feel bad at the thought that I potentially could not have gotten that for them. Does that make sense? I was able to provide, but I feel bad at the thought that maybe I wouldn't have been able to. I love my kids so much. They grow up, and then you hope that as they get older, things will get easier, and you won't worry about them so much. I now have a 19-year-old and an 18-year-old. And now I worry about them more than I ever did when I could control where they were all the time. This is the process of raising your kids. You want them to do right, you want them to learn, but you look at the world out there and you look at the world that they're entering into and it can be extremely overwhelming. I think that uh, parenting summed up is probably a combination of fear and overwhelm and anxiety <laughs> and you mix it all in and there's some love there. Parenting is not for cowards. Parenting is extremely difficult. I was talking to someone this, this week. They said, what the, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? And uh, I, I said, well, probably the hardest thing I've ever done is, is be married. That's a, a difficult relationship. It's a wonderful relationship, but very difficult uh, to have the right kind of relationship. Uh, but then parenting is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And, and you guys, if you have kids, you, you can relate to this, certainly. You want what's best for your children. You just don't always know what that means. So you do the best you can, loving your kids more than you thought possible. But if you're a Christian, you understand that it's more than just getting your kids to a place where they can go out and function in society. Uh, you don't want your kids just to make it. You want your kids to live a life of faith. If you're like me, this is an overwhelming thought. I want my kids to do right. I want my kids to have a faith life. I want my kids to be what God has uniquely created them to be. Uh, not too long ago, uh, an article was published entitled, You Lost Me. Uh, the author was Dan Benson. He was actually 
writing an article on a study that was done by Barna Group. A couple of things came out in that article. Those with a Christian background, young people with a Christian background, 59% of those who were raised in church, when they moved into their 20s, dropped out of church, 59%. 38% said they have gone through a time of doubting their faith significantly. And 32% would say in a survey that they have felt like rejecting their faith. Now again, as someone that spends a lot of time worrying about my kids and worrying about the faith life of my kids, statistics like this, and we've all heard these, uh, these are frightening to me. In fact, you read things like that, and it's almost a bit daunting, as though you just go, well, I'll do the best I can, but that's all I can do. It probably won't work out. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 is one of the verses in the Bible that I go back to again and again and again particularly when I feel overwhelmed and afraid, 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. You know where that applies? <laughs> Everywhere. Where is it that you're most afraid today? Understand that that spirit of fear, that, that shadow of fear on your life doesn't come from God. Uh, again, he goes on, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of what? Power and love and a sound mind. God has given you everything you need to do exactly what he wants you to do. And if he's placed children in your home, you have to understand that the fear you have, although it's natural, is not from God, and he's given you everything you need to be the parent that he wants you to be. But the question is this, <laughs> what does that mean? As a parent, what is it that God wants us to do? I have a statement that uh, I believe will be on the screen, and I'll read this to you because I think this sums up the heart of this message, certainly, but what I believe God wants us to do as parents. Parenting is, at its core, discipleship. And should be our priority when fulfilling the call of teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded thee. Training your children is the most fundamental way possible to live a life of offensive faith. I believe as Christians it is possible for us to separate what we believe about our relationship with God and God's call on our life from our home life. We could look at a command by Jesus Christ, God Almighty, to his disciples saying, here's the one thing I want you to do, guys. I want you to go into the whole world, and I want you to tell people about me. That's what I want you to do. I believe it's possible for us to read verses like this and understand the heart of God for uh, his plan for our lives, what it is that he wants for us to accomplish. It's possible for us to get a hold of that over there, but then in the life of our family and in the life of our children and the life of those that we have the ability to influence, say, well, that doesn't apply here. Offensive faith is not something that simply takes place inside of the church or out in the world. It's something that fundamentally needs to begin in our homes. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word nurture, it means education or training. Admonition, it's a mild rebuke or warning. The Bible there is saying, uh, New Testament, uh, you need to raise your kids. You need to teach them and train them, warn them about what might happen, but help them to know what to do. I'll say this this morning. Messages on parenting for the Christian are nothing more than messages on biblical discipleship. So please listen to me. This is the next part. 
If you don't have kids and you checked out like five minutes ago, wake up for a second, listen to me. (laughs) But I don't have kids. This is a message on children. Messages on parenting for the Christian are nothing more than messages on biblical discipleship. Here's what that means. It means they apply to everyone. I'm going to aim this at parents because I'm a parent and I'm living in this right now and this is on my mind most of the time. I'm going to aim this to parents, but I I want you to understand something. Maybe you're not a parent. Maybe you're a grandparent or an aunt or uncle or just someone who has people in their life that they're close to and can influence. Uh, Wherever you are in your life, the principles of biblical discipleship and the principles that God has given to us to raise our kids in a way that would honor Him are principles that apply to all of us. We ask the question, how do we do this? And this is, <laughs> I don't have words for that right there. You interpret that however you want. I love the Bible because it's all there. <laughs> you say, how do we do this? Uh, this is not modeled for us. Jesus never talked about being a parent. When we look at the Gospels, we talked about this in the first message on offensive faith. The reason we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the reason we have the life of Jesus Christ outlined for us is so that we would have an example or a model to follow. That's the reason. It's amazing to me how I can divorce uh, what Jesus modeled with his disciples from the life that I live. It doesn't apply somehow. The Bible doesn't say a lot on parenting. Think about the context of Jesus with his disciples. Jesus called some people around him into a very familial relationship. For three or three and a half years, Jesus Christ walked and lived and ate and slept and ministered to and corrected sometimes and encouraged at other times the people that he was with. He had this inner circle of people. There were others certainly on the outside, but those closest to him were very much the family that Jesus Christ had while he ministered on this earth. Think about it in that context. How would Jesus operate if he was a father? He demonstrated that for us over a period of almost four years. What is it that Jesus, the father, would say to his kids if he had the opportunity to say that to them? And if they were living in a difficult world, how would he encourage them? We have all of that outlined for us. The life of the disciples was a life lived in a very difficult time in history. It was a life lived in a very uh, abusive and uh, uh, persecutive world. A government that hated Christians and would learn to hate those who followed Jesus Christ in, in a very, very definite way. It was a world that Jesus could look at and say it's going to get worse before it gets better, and yet he needed to train those who he was living with and sleeping with and and eating with and walking with. He needed to train them to live in a world that would get much worse before it got much better. This is the world I'm raising my kids in. A world that will probably get worse before it gets better. It's certainly going to change. Think about the stuff you're afraid of for your kids. The life of Jesus Christ was lived at a time when the same things were happening. And in all of it, Jesus models the behavior and the instruction that needs to be given to the family that's closest to you. Let's look at this together. I love this because it's so simple and I need simple. I've read a bunch of parenting books and there's some really good ones talked to a lot of really good parents, and there are some amazing ones. 
I do what I can to learn and understand this. There's no better example than the example of Jesus Christ. How do we do this? How do we live an offensive faith at home? Number one, be right. Be right. Not correct, (laughs) but right. Now, I get this confused sometimes as a dad. I sometimes feel like if I say it, then it's right. Any other dads? Just me. (laughs) But dad, that's not true. Yes, it is. How do you know it's true? Because I said it. (laughs) I'm not talking about strong-arming or uh, imposing your will on those that you lead. I'm talking about being right on the inside. I'm talking about being the right kind of person. Here's what a lot of parents will do. Here's what I've done uh, for many years. Uh, I've tried to start with raising my kids and work back to being the right kind of father. But that's upside down. Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't yet have kids. You can start this parenting process today. Learn to be right. Maybe you haven't been right and you've been attempting to raise kids and it's not working out real well. Well, then get back to point number one, be right. It starts on the inside. Again, look at the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived and walked and died and rose again and went back to heaven. His followers, what did they do? Most of them would lose their lives as martyrs communicating the message that he told them to communicate in the verses we just read. Why would they do that? Because it was real. Why would they do that? Because he was real. Why would they do that? Because it was authentic. They believed it. We need to follow the example of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 speaks to this idea of being right. If you come back tonight, I'm going to spend some more time on that passage in 2 Peter chapter 1. But again, these verses, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? You know what Peter's saying there? He's saying, look, there is faith, and it's a grace given to us. Wonderful passage. Again, we'll look at this tonight. He says it begins with faith. It's a grace given to us by God. But if you want to have a fruitful relationship with God, in fact, he goes on and says, if you want to live the kind of life that causes you to not forget that you were redeemed, then you need to have a vibrant, growing, effective faith life. You need to add some things to your faith. You need to have the right kind of character. You need to be right on the inside so that you can do on the outside what God has called you to do. And guys, this is where it all begins. If you're a parent leading children, if you're just a guy or a girl trying to lead someone in your life to help them live the life that God has created them and called them to live, it starts with you being right. Not perfect, but right. You need to be authentic, you need to be transparent, and you need to be honest. I mess up a lot as a dad. I I do. I get a little upset sometimes. I say things that I will later regret. (laughs) We all have our areas that we struggle as human beings, and that will spill over into our parenting. I'm not suggesting that to be right means that you need to be perfect, but you need to be authentic. What does that mean? It means you need to be the same at home as you are around everyone else in your life. 
You need to be the same when you're with your kids and talking to your kids as you are when you're talking to your wife, as you are uh, when you're talking to other people, as you are when you're in a, a place where people are looking at you. You need to be authentic. Be real. Beyond being authentic, you need to be transparent. You need to be willing to share those times that you've messed it up. You need to be willing to apologize to people that you've hurt. You need to be transparent enough to say there are some areas that I struggle, but that doesn't mean that God isn't good. It just means that there are some areas I struggle and I really need him. You need to be not only authentic and transparent, but be honest. I think as parents, it's easy for us to keep it all here. The problem with that is that as our kids are growing and they go into their own lives and their own world, they're going to struggle. They're going to fall down sometimes. They're going to have problems, and they're going to need someone to help them get back up and continue on the path. And if you have failed to be right, if you're unwilling to be authentic or transparent because it makes you feel bad, or honest because you're afraid of what that might mean, if you're not real with them, then when they do need help, they're not going to come to you for help. You need to be right. But the second part of this is great. You need to, number two, train. <laughs> train. This idea of raising children is active. We could substitute another word. It is offensive. Starts out with you being right on the inside. Your character is what it needs to be. You're the right kind of person. And then you decide that you will go on the offense. You will train. You will teach. You will raise your children for God's glory. Listen to me. Parenting is not intended to be parents keeping their children safe and keeping them as comfortable as possible. Say it one more time. You can throw stuff at me later if you want. Parenting is not intended to be parents keeping their children safe and keeping them as comfortable as possible. Parenting is actively equipping your children for what will inevitably come. Another statement, I wrote this down. If your parenting consists only of protection, comfort, and control, your parenting will lack the impact that it should have over the life of your child. And your influence will end when you do. <laughs> I didn't know a better way to say that. I thought that was very tactful. <laughs> when you end, so will your influence. Or when they leave, your influence will be over. Why? Because your parenting consisted only of protecting them and comforting and controlling instead of training them for what would happen. Jesus called his disciples, but then he taught his disciples, and he, he talked to them about what would inevitably come. It took them a while to understand exactly what he was talking about, but he gave them the tools they needed to deal with whatever the future would bring. Why is it that Christianity exists today? Why is it that our church exists today? Why is it that we understand what we do of the Bible, and we understand what it is to have a relationship with God? Because Jesus Christ gathered some people around him, and he not only protected them and provided for them, which he did, he, he put an emphasis on training them, so he could send them out to a place where they could then influence every generation beyond them. 
I want my kids to be safe. I want my kids to be comfortable. I want my kids to be under control. But what I want more than any of those things is for them to be equipped, for them to be prepared for what will inevitably come in their lives. And yet so often our perspective on this is wrong. We think that our job as parents is to simply kind of do this. (laughs) And our job as parents is to get them ready for a spiritual warfare that they will encounter. I love these verses in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. So God is saying to the nation of Israel, uh, I've done a lot of things in your life. You need to remember these things. You need to hang on to these things. You need to remember so that you can teach them to thy sons and thy son's son. Deuteronomy 6, 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Again, it begins with them. You need to be right. Verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. What's verse 7 say? And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Uh, God says, look, I've done a lot of great things for you and I want you to honor me and live for me and, and do right for me. You need to do all of that. And then you need to go beyond that and offensively take your faith to your children and their children. I want you to talk about my goodness. I want you to talk about my love. I want you to talk about my purpose for their lives. When you're sitting down and when you're standing and when you're walking, all of the time you are training. Because someday you're going to be gone. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says simply, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child. What a wonderful admonition. I think there are two areas that training needs to happen. There is general instruction. Again, we see this in the life of Christ. It's incredible. Jesus had his disciples, the the twelve, and then he had the other disciples beyond that. We see this in the book of Acts when they're in the upper room. There were more than 100 folks. There were a lot of people who followed Jesus. They would be disciples. But there were those closest to him, and he talked to them generally. He told them how to live and what to do and, and, and what it is to honor God and what it is to love and what it is to serve. He spoke very generally. But then again and again and again, we see that he not only spoke very generally, but he spoke very specifically. The Son of God having a one-on-one conversation with Peter. The Son of God having one-on-one conversation with the man we call Doubting Thomas. Again and again, throughout the New Testament, Jesus cared not only about people generally, but about people specifically. As we approach this idea of discipleship and raising our children, we need to train, first of all, generally. What are some general areas we need to train? We need to train our children, those that we influence, to read and trust the Bible. It is the light. I'm not the light for my kids. I hope that I can provide direction and wisdom for my children, but when I'm not around or when I uh, am far away, uh, I want them to be able to open the Word of God that is a light to the path and a lamp to their feet. I want them to understand that it is the Bible that is given to us from God. It's the Bible that teaches them how to live, and we need to explain and help them to understand the importance of the Bible. We need to help them to understand the importance of church. 
church is intentionally putting ourselves where we can learn and fellowship. Again, I could spend a lot of time on this idea of church, but the local congregation is about teaching. It's about worshiping God through song. It's about fellowshipping. It's about equipping one another as we go through life. And if we convince our children that they can do this thing on their own, they're going to fail. We need to generally teach about the devotional life, that is, walking with God, abiding in Christ, and honoring Him. We need to teach prayer, and we need to model prayer. What is that? Without ceasing, having that communication with God, expressing our dependence on Him. Generally speaking, there are some things we need to uh, drill into the hearts and minds of our children. But beyond that, very specifically, we need to deal with our kids where they are in their lives right now. If you have kids, more than one, um, parents will say, my kids are so different. (laughs) Of course they're different. (laughs) They're different. I have four children. Uh, If you you know my kids, you know Maggie and Ethan, they're 18 months apart. Then seven years went by. (laughs) And then Molly and Everett are 18 months apart. They look like the same, just different sizes. And yet they are so different. What we as parents tend to do, though, is try to parent each one of them exactly the same. We try to meet their needs the same way and talk to them the same way and communicate to them the same way and put the same uh, requirements on each one of them. But we have to understand that God has placed individuals in our homes. And just as Jesus spoke to his disciples as they were individuals, so it is we need to parent our children as individuals. Different ages, different stages of life, different challenges. We need to be people who are not only right on the inside, but who intentionally train those that God has placed in our homes. But in all of this, we finally need to understand that there is a goal. There is a goal. Uh, I was asked this question this week. What is the goal of parenting? Uh, It's probably the first time I've ever been asked the question, and it's funny because I was thinking about this message. Uh, What is the goal of parenting? I believe there is a goal, and we find it in these verses. The goal is to deploy, to deploy, to send our kids out to do the work that God has called them to do. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The Apostle Paul, speaking to Timothy, said, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the truth, communicate that to other people, and then send them out so they can communicate the truth. We find the same thing in the verses given to us uh, here in Matthew chapter 28. What did Jesus say? He said, Go. He spent years with these folks, teaching them and training them and equipping them. When all hope was gone because they believed he was dead, never to return, he did rise again. He went and found them again. He presented himself to them. He explained things a little bit deeper. He restored some broken relationships. He got them to a place where they were ready to do whatever it is he wanted them to do. And what did he say? He said, there's been a goal the last couple of years. And I wasn't just trying to make you better people or better versions of yourself or more fully what you should be anyhow. I have been equipping you to deploy into the world. Listen to me. We are to raise our kids to send them away. It's a fairly unpopular idea in the day and age in which we live. 
If your goal is to keep your kids in your home for the rest of their lives, you are working against what God has created them to do. Now, maybe they'll stay with you for a while. Maybe they'll go away and come back for a while. (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. But you as a parent need to have a goal, and the goal is to deploy, to send them out to do the work that God has called them to do. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, again, Jesus speaking to his disciples. He is now on his way to heaven and says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. What is the goal? The goal is to deploy your children for the glory of God. Parenting is, at its core, discipleship. And should be our priority when fulfilling the call of teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded thee. Training your children is the most fundamental way possible to live a life of offensive faith. I believe that in life, there are a few things that I'm good at. (laughs) Unfortunately, though, parenting is not always one of them. I used to look at parents that looked like they had it all together. You know these people? We hate these people, right? (laughs) You got all the right stuff in the right place, and your kids aren't out of control. Uh, I used to look at these parents... And it made me feel really, really bad because truth be told, most of the time, I'm just doing my best to get by. I'm hoping I don't screw them up too bad. (laughs) If we're being honest, that's my goal sometimes. I have moments that I swing from loving my kids more than I could possibly explain to wanting to kill them for doing the same dumb stuff I do. It's, It's a real bipolar kind of relationship, being a parent. The rest of the time, though, I'm just scared that they're going to someday have to deal with something without me present to take care of it for them. What I've learned over time as I've talked to parents is that uh, even the parents that look like they have it all figured out, (laughs) they're dealing with the same stuff I'm dealing with. You see, unfortunately, being overwhelmed and being a little bit scared and, and being extremely frustrated, it's just a part of life. But it's not a part of life that needs to control your life when you understand that God has a plan and it's bigger than yours. There is a goal and God's laid it out for us. We just simply need to understand it and go on the offense in our homes. I look at all of this and what I say, if I'm honest, is I get it, but I don't think I can do it. Let me encourage you with this thought today. You can't. (laughs) Encouraged? You can't do it. How many times have we read verse 18 of this passage in the last couple of weeks? If you just got them all together, he started to say some things, but he began with this statement. All power is given unto me. Can you do it? No. You can't. You're not called or required to have the power. Jesus said, I've got all the power. I just need you to do the work. I need you to be authentic and real. I need you to be right. I need you to be intentional about training. I need you to do that. I need you to be focused on deploying for a purpose bigger than yourself. If you'll do that, then I've got the power. The next thought I have is, well, sometimes I feel so alone. You ever felt alone as a parent? I remember when Maggie was pretty little, we were dealing with some stuff with her, and 
I called my dad like in the middle of this thing. <laughs> I said, Dad, uh, I have no idea what to do right now. I feel so alone. And my dad, I think he laughed at me like, yeah, it's your turn now. Yeah, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> you feel so alone, don't you? I'm the only one who's ever dealt with this. Jesus said, look, the power is mine. You do what I've called you to do. I've got the power. But then he wrapped it all up with these final words, and lo. And oh, by the way, I'm with you always. Even unto the end of the world. Guys, you're focusing on the wrong stuff. Focus on being right. Focus on training those that God places in your life so that they can be what He wants them to be, not what you want them to be. And then send them out excited for the life that He's led them into. Equipping our children and those closest to us to fully live the life that God has created them to live. Decide that you will have an offensive faith, not just out there, but in your home. Father, we thank you for the opportunity again today to be together. We thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the privilege of preaching 